Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have prepared for us this day. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Throughout this Easter season, we've been hearing from the Gospel of John. We began with a couple of John's resurrection stories, which is obviously appropriate. But then we moved into passages from John's account of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. This section of John, from which we draw so heavily during Easter season, is known as the Farewell Discourse. The Farewell Discourse is a five-chapter talk of Jesus that is part review for the final exam, part locker room pep talk, and part prayer. <laughs> Jesus knows this is the last time he will be gathered with his disciples, and he has a lot he wants to tell them. As one might imagine, this information overload is quite disconcerting for the disciples. In our passage for today, which comes near the beginning of this long discourse, Jesus tries to talk to the disciples about two realities that are hard to hold together. First, he is going away, and second, he will not leave them alone. Recall, if you can, a time when, in your childhood maybe, when your parents left for a trip or for some other reason. Or recall when your young adult child was leaving to live in a new city or pursue a new adventure. These changes make us anxious. We want details. We want to understand. We want to make sure that all the potential situations have been planned for. We want our loved ones to be safe, and we want to know that we'll be safe in their absence. As Jesus begins trying to explain to the disciples what it means that he's going away, that he's leaving, the anxiety level in the room spikes, and the disciples begin to ask questions. First, Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus tells them that where he is going, they cannot come, but he's going to prepare a place for them and he will bring them to him. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus explains that they do know the way because he, Jesus, is the way and he reveals the Father. Then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus says that he and the Father are so unified that if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Jesus promises not to leave them orphaned, that even though the world will no longer see him, they will still be able to see him. And then Judas, not Iscariot, asks, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus' answer to Judas' question is our passage for today. Jesus' response begins with love. Just as presiding Bishop Curry reminded us several weeks ago, for Jesus it all begins and ends with love. Those who live out the teaching and example of Jesus show their love for God and their love for others. In essence, living out this greatest commandment reveals the presence of God. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus told the disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them in his Father's house. Now Jesus says that he and the Father will come and make their home in those who love him and keep his word. 
In John's gospel, eternal life begins here and now. It is our relationship with God through Jesus. Even while Jesus prepares eternal dwellings with the Father, he and the Father will continue to dwell with us, with his disciples in the present. Jesus and God, intimately united, will make their home within all of those who long to live in this love. And then Jesus tries to unpack his both coming and going proclamation that has the disciples so anxious by introducing the Holy Spirit. While Jesus is going to the Father, something he thinks the disciples should be celebrating, by the way, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. So even though Jesus won't be with them as he has been, he'll remain with them in a more permanent way through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This passage, as you might imagine, is frequently cited in discussions about God as Trinity, of God as three in one, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this tag team doesn't sound compelling to the disciples. It sounds a little like bait and switch. They signed up for following Jesus, not some unseen, unknown spirit that will take Jesus' place. They're not sure they want to commit to the performance if the understudy is going on stage instead of the star. <laughs> Plus, as we all know, a bird in the hand, right? In a divine version of deal or no deal, the disciples are thinking, no thanks. We'd much rather have Jesus in the flesh than whatever this Holy Spirit has to offer. And so Jesus sets about explaining all the gifts that the Holy Spirit living among them and within them will bring. He promises them that the Holy Spirit will teach them, will remind them, and will bring them peace. When Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us, he lets us know that there is more truth to be revealed. There is more knowing to be had. Later in this same discourse, Jesus will say, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. There are some Christian traditions that hold that the Holy Spirit does not reveal new understandings to Christians. They reject ongoing revelation of how God is working in the world as dubious speculation. But in our tradition, we remember these words that Jesus taught, and we believe that God continues to reveal truth to us through the Holy Spirit. This doesn't necessarily imply that God is changeable or even that the truth has changed. It implies that our understanding of God's truth mediated through the church, through the body of Christ, continues to evolve. Think of all the social realities and beliefs that the church has held in the past that she later came to understand in a new way. And slavery comes to mind, as does apartheid and segregation and the role of women in the church. Earlier in John, Jesus tells us, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you are to defend yourself or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very moment what you ought to say. When we commit ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we trust that the Holy Spirit will guide us and speak through our words and actions, helping to align us with God's will for us. 
When Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will remind us, he assures us that we will know our stories and we will internalize them. In essence, Jesus is reassuring his disciples. He's saying, I know, I've taught you and shown you a lot. Even just tonight, I'm dumping five chapters of information on you. <laughs> I get you won't be able to remember it all, and that makes you nervous. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive my presence with you, even as I'm no longer bodily with you, you will remember. You will remember this night and all that you've seen and heard from me. And more than that, you will remember your stories as God's beloved people. You will be able to see the sweep of salvation history from the beginning of creation to its ultimate culmination and redemption in God. And that is what we do in our worship, in our formation, and in our traditions. We remember that we have been created out of God's love. We remember that God has intervened in history over millennia to guide us toward the salvation that he's prepared for us and for the whole world. We remember how Jesus embodied God's love to show us the life that God desires for each of us. And we remember how in the power of the resurrection, the church has lived into and sometimes failed to live into our call to be a blessing to the world. To the extent that we remember Jesus' ministry and all that he taught and did, we remember who we are and who we're called to be. And what Jesus promises is that through the teaching and reminding of the Holy Spirit, we will know peace. This is the first time in the entire Gospel of John that Jesus mentions peace. And yet it will be the very first thing that Jesus greets the disciples with in the resurrection. He breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit and says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Here he intimately ties the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to our ability to be at peace. On this final night with his disciples, Jesus tells them all of this knowing they really don't understand any of it. But what he's banking on is the disciples getting to the other side of the resurrection. He's counting on that promised Holy Spirit to do what he's just explained, to remind the disciples after Jesus' ascension, after he goes away, of all that he said this night. This is why we read this passage during Easter season, so that the Holy Spirit working in us reminds us of all that Jesus taught and did when he was with us, that we might know that peace which passes all understanding, that we might know Jesus' presence within us, guiding us and loving us and binding us one to another through this gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand and join.